Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. And tonight we are joined by first time ever special guest, Zeke Lawrence. Um, and how are you doing, Zeke? Doing great. Good. Excited to be part of it. Awesome. Um, yeah. Glad you, to have you. Yes. We have, you're one of the, the few that gets referenced occasionally on the podcast um, due to shared history and love of movies and, um, you know, has not been on yet. So we're glad to finally have you on an episode. Um, and it's amazing to me, too, um, how often Frank actually, like, ends up, like, referencing, like, some movie somewhere and, like, how you're involved either in watching it with him or how, like, you know, uh, you know, it's something that happened to Chuck's house back in the day of watching something or going to the movies together or something like that. And it's amazing how often you actually do pop up in, in Frank's, like, movie history and stuff like that. So, um, and you've been a large supporter of ours since the beginning, and we really appreciate that a lot. So um, tonight we are going to be talking, it's kind of like a second watch episode here tonight as a bonus episode. So um, we're going to be talking about 1992's Batman Returns, directed by Tim Burton, starring Michael Keaton, Dan DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, Christopher Walken. Uh, and so I'm going to turn it over to our guest first, Zeke. Um, how long has it been since you watched this movie and what did you think of it in rewatching it? I I thought for sure I had seen this more recently than I actually had. Um, I started watching it and I could not remember any of it. But then there were glimpses that came back to me as as I watched it, you know, all the way through. So it it must have been when it was first released at the theater that I had seen it. Um, it was a completely different movie than I expected or that I even remembered. Um, I still love Michael Keaton because I've seen the original Batman multiple times through the years, but never this one as a rewatch. So it was definitely a different thought pattern as God, however many years ago, was that 30 years? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that since that has been released. Almost. Yep. So a completely different mindset on life and rewatching it. It was still enjoyable, but different than what I had experienced when I had watched it when I was young. Mm-hmm. Michael Keaton, still the best. The rest of them, I'm not as sure. Like I was <laughs> looking back, you know, when I rewatched it. It was cool seeing Paul Rubens in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher Walken was himself, as always, in every other movie. I'm not a Michelle Pfeiffer fan, so it really didn't matter that she was even in it. But then when I looked up who else they had playing or had wanted to cast for the part, she was probably the best bet. Yeah, uh, Danny I agreed. DeVito I was Danny DeVito and Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I think um, I looked it up too about who who was going to play some of these characters, and the only one I saw on the list for Catwoman that I thought could have worked, considering how cartoony it was, was maybe Madonna. 
Yeah. That's the only other one that I could see. Everybody else was too I serious. Benny, no. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, the list that they had for the Penguin was... The only one I could think of would have been Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of them would have been horrible. Um, Tim Burton. It was a it was a beautiful movie for uh, a soundstage movie. Yeah, I think he really captured what he needed to capture. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obvious that he really didn't want to do it. From from what the way I looked at it, it was kind of he just he just did it just to do it. Um, a lot I guess you know from reading about it, a lot of the backlash was about the violence and all, but I don't think it was nearly as violent as the original. Agreed. Um, it's more sexually it was, repugnant than violent. <laughs> that's yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I found a lot of that unnerving. Mm-hmm. The Danny DeVito interaction with her, and yeah, it was uh, disgusting. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I mean, it was supposed to be, I guess. Yeah. Um. It, like trying to like what we were talking about earlier, as regards like a younger person watching that movie now, I don't think they would be able to grasp what was actually going on. I think we, at our age, we still can, because we've seen those older movies and we can see what Tim Burton was going for with the noirish type thing. I don't think a younger generation would be interested in what he was going for with that. Yeah, There's no more newspaper boys or any of that. So I don't think a younger person today, like my son, they wouldn't understand and would ask more questions than even enjoy the movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's lost on, like, I think our generation was probably the last that would be able to enjoy that type of movie. It's interesting you say that because I think about that sometimes when I watch movies like this and think, how does this play out the kid that's, you know, I mean, I was whatever, 14 or 15, I guess, when this movie came out. 15 and i saw it in the theater and i i mean i liked it when i was a kid but you know different slightly different opinion now but yeah i don't know how like a kid in the same age range would look at that movie it's all over the place too so it's like you don't really have like one central theme that you're kind of i don't know fixating on or it doesn't have the same tone throughout like it jumps from like cartoony to violent to creepy to i don't know like in kind of borderline inane at times. Almost silly. Yeah, there's times. And a lot of it. I I mean you got that yeah, shit with the like I was saying it was it was like Tim Burton didn't care. Right. Well you got the shit with the penguin like rising from the dead to take his last attack on Batman and pulling the um baby uh mobile umbrella out and like ah i pulled a silly one and then just dying like it's i don't know (laughs) i think that's a good encapsulation of the entire movie pretty much yeah yeah so so it all feels like because i i know i don't know how christmasy it was 
It's got, it's got <laughs> Christmas trees and presents and shit. So <laughs> there's snow. There is snow. Mm. Yeah, I um, if, if I know a little bit of how Frank feels about this movie, we te- we exchanged a few texts on it, but it's like it, it sounds like after what you said, it feels like we're probably all in agreement that this doesn't really hold up very well and probably even not a very good movie. Um, particularly if you're comparing it to the first movie, because I watched the first movie in the past month, just preparing for this again. And that movie still really holds up to me. I really like it a lot. And this movie is not that movie at all. Uh, I agree with you, Zeke. I think that I'm not a Michelle Pfeiffer fan myself. I don't think that she, I liked her better as Selena, the secretary, I guess, but it still all felt like too forced Mm -hmm. all of it. Like her performance, the character penguin, you've already talked about to some degree, the two of you, like it just come, it's this weird mix between Frank. How did you describe it the other day? It was like, in terms of that character, you've got, it's like three different, three different things rolled into one. Cause you've got some of the kitsch of the sixties serial um rolled into it and then it's like this ultra violent like grimdark 90s comic book interpretation of the character and then frank reynolds from always sunny in philadelphia for good measure like all those things together and at any given time in a scene like it could change i mean he's he's it's probably my favorite thing in the movie honestly is devito's penguin like i think it's the most interesting performance and the most interesting part of the movie because like he's fucking obscene like so many times and he's i don't know like those teeth with like the blood and like the fish pieces like stain on them and then turning around and talking about like the the sexual innuendo in this movie is i don't know i like almost too much like sometimes oh it's too much i think it's especially especially penguin like like every woman he's talking about like it, it's every every woman there's a sexual innuendo that is it's like very very aggressive i guess yeah and i don't even know what was yeah. the rating on this at the time i did 13 is it i okay. think yeah PG 13 oh yeah. yeah so apparently they got a lot of flack for it. well i can imagine um the the pg-13 rating yeah, um, the innuendo and the violence. I like I said, the violence I don't think was anywhere near as bad as the original. No. Um, the the bomb blowing up and him Batman pushing him into the sewer, that was probably the most violent with one of the henchmen. Yeah. The, the bomb blowing up. Well, Other you know, than that, it really wasn't that bad. But but Batman murders like at least probably a dozen people in this movie either oh yeah on purpose or just you know by like by accident like there's that close to the scene you're talking about with the henchman in the sewer is um the clown henchman with the flamethrower or like the whatever the um the fire spitter guy outside the department store and batman just flips Mm -hmm. the batmobile around and lights the man on fire with his exhaust and he's just sitting there, like burning and dying in the middle of the street. Yeah. It's like, man, that's a, uh, that's 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 a little harsh, there, Batman. And then to juxtapose that with 
and I, I agree. Like, confused between Batman and Superman. I I like like Superman's I, not supposed to kill, but Batman does. Right. Well, Batman's not supposed to kill either. That's his whole point. Like he's the <laughs> you know I don't know, and I like Keaton's interpretation of Batman. It's just there's so little of it in this movie because most of it's about you know you spend the whole first. 20 minutes on the origin story of like Penguin and then Selena Kyle and Batman is just barely in the whole thing. So I don't Bat- know. Batman is Batman. I, cause I watched this twice. I felt I needed to watch it again because the first time I was drinking at night when I watched it, the second time I watched it sober, but I, I made sure to keep note. Batman shows up for that one scene early on. And then the second scene, uh, the second time he shows up is basically, I think it's 56 minutes into the movie. So the whole first hour of the movie almost is mostly Batman lists. You know, you get Bruce Wayne, but he does not show up until about halfway through this movie. And it doesn't feel like in a good way, he's not showing up where you're anticipating him. It just feels like a slog with the backstories of Penguin and Catwoman taking far too long until you actually get to anything. I have a minor defense of that, and I don't think it works. Like, I think you're right, but I think I understand why that happens. Because you look at, and I think Chris, I think Chris, you and I talked about this the other day. It's like, there was no template for how to make a sequel to a movie like that that was the number one movie in the country for whatever like x number of weeks in 1989 it was basically a cultural phenomenon so you don't want to tell in any part batman's story again right like because you've already told that story a couple years before but i guess like he didn't understand the telling too much of your villain's backstory just it just confuses what the movie's about and then by you know like when you have batman actually being batman it just i don't know it just feels like a really like fractured movie throughout like it's it's like stopping and starting all the time and completely reintroducing elements that don't connect to anything else for a lot of it and and and, it, and this one through extensive rewrites by by a, by a few different people so um from from basically the origin of the story until the final product and i i think that I think that probably has a lot to do with that fractured nature of the story because they didn't even add in the penguins. It wasn't until like the last, like kind of like few rewrites by, I think it was this Daniel Waters guy that wrote Heathers um, that Burton liked. It wasn't until that, that the penguin even had a real plot at all. Like he was just out there doing shit (laughs) for no reason really. And um, so, yeah, I think that fractured nature probably is on the script level. And I think Zeke's right. Burden didn't care. And as much as I love Michael Keaton, I feel like Michael Keaton doesn't care so much in this movie. Like there, there are scenes where it's almost like he's acting like he Bruce Wayne acts like this in the first movie as well. Like Keaton's Bruce Wayne, but he has this kind of, a lot of times it's with the Joker character when he's Bruce Wayne, where he's kind of like perplexed or confused or kind of giving like a, what the fuck is going on here. But it's, he feels like he's doing that through most of this movie. And it's almost like he's wondering what the fuck am I doing in this movie or what the fuck this movie is. It's, um, it feels like he's just yeah, going he had through Johnny emotions. dangerously face going on the whole time. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's right. It, it, like Michael Keaton has that look. Uh-huh. Like that was his look. The I'm confused, but I'm thinking about what's going on. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Johnny Davis. I mean, I love Michael Davis. Keaton for that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah, I mean, but it's—I mean, that was his signature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's how he yeah. does his eyes and his eyebrows. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's great. I mean, I really—I had. I mean, it, he did phone it on. He did phone it in. Mm-hmm. His performance, I think. But he did his job and he earned his money. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I think he like, was legitimately confused by the scenes. Down. I think he was legitimately confused at times by what was going on in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much of his I performance. <laughs> I felt the same way. <laughs> so, Zeke, I do want to go back to something you said. Which if is, they would have just had Catwoman. Yeah, you're right. If they would have said Catwoman being the story or just Penguin, it could have been a whole different and great movie. It was just too many people. Well, because the problem is, is the Max Shrek character like tying everything together? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just it's it's just too much. And Walken is so, I don't know, Walken in it. Like you never even can really hate him. Honestly, it's just he's kind of he's very honest about the fact that he's an asshole. You know, he's just trying to do what's best for him and his idiot kid, and all these weirdos keep getting in his way but then he is always like overcoming the weirdos so i don't know yeah it's 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 very strange like that i mean i get the point of that character and like kind of why it needs to exist but even that was original in the original script a lot of that stuff was written for the a two-faced character that was going to be in it and then gets adapted over to this max shrek character uh in- including like the shock to the face and all those kind of things which was originally supposed to be the you know the two-faced turn like and they it's just a script that's so cobbled together that it ultimately doesn't it's kind of incoherent and it makes so, an incoherent moving let me ask this question because i was thinking about this when i was watching it i'm sitting there watching christopher walken act and just thinking like okay it's just christopher walken but Christopher Walken wasn't really Christopher Walken in 1992. So how do you think that that performance plays without knowing the 30 years of history of Christopher Walken, where he's almost like a caricature of himself, you know, throughout the late nineties and into the two thousands, like, cause he's barely acting in the movie. It's just that whole clip delivery and, almost like I'm too cool to be here kind of thing. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about if that, because I, that might've been my introduction to Christopher Walken. I don't know. I don't know what I would have seen before then. Dead zone. Yeah, that's probably true, but he's completely different in dead zone. Like I think, I think dead zone might be his best performance ever because it's one of the least Christopher Walken performances. Because he's actually playing a human being, and but he was like, already starting. To, I like. I think he was already starting to get into it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm looking up his. I mean, they, like, I would have seen at close range and Biloxi Blues um, by this point. So I, I would have seen him in a couple of things that I was too young to really probably fully understand nuance or anything but um so this would have been my first real introduction to walk probably even though i'd seen those by that point 
Yeah, you're. Yeah, I, I think Z's right though. I think you are getting. I think there's some movies before that. There's Walkins starting to get into that. Whatever clip delivery. Maybe let me look up his filmography. Because let's see. Yeah, King... I thought about that before. I mean, I had probably seen The Dead Zone four or five times before I saw this movie. Come to think of it. Because the dead zone used to be on channel fifty four mm-hmm. on Saturday, like, like it felt like once, oh, yeah, once a month movie. almost. Uh huh. Because one of those movies where they could show you a horror movie and you would never have, and it wasn't like they had to cut a huge amount out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Damn, he acted for a long time before this. That's crazy. He was uh, in quite a few things. Maybe but I'd it is seen the- funny, like looking back, like how he started doing that form of acting, and it really did seem to start with this Batman appearance. Yeah, like it was from this Batman on, he's been doing the same acting. Yeah, because if you look after this, yeah, all the way it, through, because it's, it's after this, like major movies, it's True Romance, that part that he has in Wayne's World two, and then Pulp Fiction, and then the Prophecy. Or like his main movie after that, and yeah, he's doing the, this thing. I mean, Pulp Fiction is probably the thing that probably popularizes it the most with that cadence. But true romance, well, not popularized on that. Already known. Yeah, I he's kind of well, like that in King that of New York too. Pulp Fiction. Right. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. He's he acts like that in King of New York. It's I'd probably fun. seen that before I saw Batman Returns. Yeah, I hadn't by that point. I think I did. I saw King of New York when it first came out on video. Yeah, same here. I think that View to a Kill and The Dead Zone are probably the three that I have seen of his. Because I used to have to watch all the Bond movies. And I love Christopher Walken, but yeah, this guy hasn't acted in 30 years. (laughs) He's just been doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like even his later movies that I'm looking at here in past I guess 10 when years. when he did the Saturday Night Live skit. Right. Yeah. He did that one Saturday Night Live skit and he's been doing it ever since. Right. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, see, there is something I want to go back to what you were saying about how, how, the, how the movie looks really good for something that's done on a set. Because it's one of the things that stood out to me from the very beginning of rewatching this is that one, yes, like I could, it's almost like you can see the sets, which at first I found really disconcerting. And then I texted Frank the other day and I was like, is there any establishing shots in that movie? And Frank, you said there's one in the beginning, you said, right? So I kind of consider the overhead crane shot where it's coming down from the tree decorating like mm-hmm. over the floating cat head into Shrek's office. I, but that's the majority of the city that you get is that square. And then right. that office building, cause everything takes place around that area. Yeah. And for, and, and but I agree with you for some of me and Frank and I, and if I know Frank likes this aspect of it, it looks really great. I mean, like what they do there, but it also made it feel extremely small to me. Like, and, and like not, yeah, it, it was wasn't claustrophobic. Yeah. And, and it wasn't grand. Like, I, I think back to the first one where 
you know, you have the outdoor scene with the 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 pen is the mightier than the sword with the Joker, and you have the outdoor scene with the parade, you know, and <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. And it made it feel like Gotham was a real city that it like people lived in it. In this movie, it feels like yeah, you got a bunch of extras for a couple scenes, and otherwise, it's these five characters just kind of fucking around on rooftops at nighttime and it felt really small and it take it to me it like it made it feel odd and like it didn't have any stakes the entire movie yeah because the whatever the arctic underworld thing is it feels like it's like like 20 feet from the main square like everything feels like it all radiates just off of that one point and it's very, yeah, very small, very claustrophobic is a good way to put it, but it's strange, though, because, like, yeah, the underwater or the underneath sound bigger than up top. Yeah. Like, like Penguin's lair was bigger than the whole of Gotham. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Gotta have somewhere to keep those penguins. Um, yeah. Because Batman doesn't feel like that. But Batman's a, a a lot movie, right? Like a lot of it is filmed on like a back lot, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm not sure whether those outdoor I, I maybe, but it also the, I think another aspect of it is that so much of this takes almost it's all of it pretty much takes place at night, right? There's no daytime sequences hardly. Yeah, there's, there's um no daytime. No, when Bruce Wayne goes to Shrek's meeting with Shrek that's during the day but they're indoors most of it so yeah. right yeah 100 percent. yeah i guess there is no no penguin going to the um graveyard to visit his parents grave is during the day mm -hmm. isn't it because then he goes to the um uh, maybe that's at night too it's hard to tell because everything's so like black and grimy and gothic yeah i i, I think then all the nighttime scenes also make it add on to that idea that it's a set like honestly like and I'm, I'm not it's it feels like a fucking Lars von Trier like dog may 95 movie in some ways like except for rather than you know tape on the ground like they just actually have real sets but that's what it feels like it, it feels like dogville or something um yeah. in terms of like how small the entire thing is and I just yeah, it was really disconcerting to me and really threw me off. And um, that's why I had to watch it again, because I felt like, OK, maybe it just feels small because you were drinking like when you were watching it. But no, it felt just as small when I was sober. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, like the Batmobile is driving down what, like a quarter mile of street every single time. And it's basically the same street. Yeah. Mm hmm. I have a question for the two of you. But I'm wondering, like, did oh, Tim Burton do ahead. that on purpose? Hmm. No, I'm wondering, did, did he do that on purpose, that feel? Did he want that that 50s, that 1950s newsboy feel See, I, of it? Like, you're talking all those movies that were filmed back then, they were filmed on those lots. Right. Yeah. He filmed the exact same thing. He filmed yeah. it. I mean, it was colorized, but it was dark. And I'm wondering if that's what he was going for. Yeah, it could I be. Mean, I'm not 100% sure, but that, like, as to, I guess to like placate myself throughout the movie, that's what I let myself feel. Mm 
you know, that's, I mean, that's the move. That's the setting that I'm going to be in. And I'm just going to ride with it. Yeah. It also is sort of a, like, I mean, it's a dark reflection of it, but it's kind of an homage to the, um, the sixties, uh, you know, whatever syndicated show, which would always just be, you know, a couple of sets basically. And I think that he's in some way, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not, not homage, but it's kind of a, like a parody almost of that where he's taking it into a darker area mm-hmm. and like making it like more of like a noir type setting, but still like injecting those elements of campiness into it to kind of, so you don't really, you can never take it fully seriously. Maybe it is just like a big fuck you to the fact that he's making a sequel to the movie and didn't want to do it. Just getting some money so he can make, um, I don't know, Ed Wood or something. He, what the, I forget what I read, but it was, it was some ridiculous amount of money that this movie, um, grossed overall. I mean, he almost made his money back in the first weekend. Yeah. For this, it, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. It, it ended up making 266 million off of a estimated 65 to $80 million budget. So it certainly for the time period had a decent return to it. <clears throat> That's a crazy return. But I don't remember being excited for it. I think I was a little. I was really heavy into Burton at that point, though. So. What's see. odd is I don't I, remember. I enjoyed. Oh, go ahead, Z. No, I was saying I I always enjoyed Tim Burton. Yeah. So I'd have, I'd have been right there, but I and I know I must have seen this at the theater. There's no way I didn't. But I don't remember any excitement. Whereas the original Batman, I was there opening weekend mm-hmm. with the t-shirts and everything. Yeah. Right. Um it was the same for every other Tim Burton movie that came out back then. But this I don't remember. It's, it's really bizarre. I don't know if I blocked it out or whatever, but I don't I don't remember this at all. The 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 only thing I had burned in my memory was from from childhood when I saw this in the theater was the very beginning of this movie, which was Paul Rubens <clears throat> taking the baby and putting it down the water. That's the only thing I like really remembered and like is like I could recall that scene in my head. Other than that, I didn't remember any scenes from this movie until I rewatched it. When I saw it, it was like, oh, right, I remember this now. But like, if you would have asked me before watching it again to recall something, that's the only actual image I could recall from this movie. <clears throat> which doesn't, which probably says a lot about how I felt about it at the time as something disposable, even though I didn't probably know the word disposable in that context or you know in relation to a movie back then but i must have felt that way when i was 12 or whatever saying this is that i didn't think much of it or i was confused by it i wish i could remember more i'd love to be able to know like how i if i understood the sexual innuendos back then or you know or what i really thought of it back then but i just don't i do want to ask a question though both of you because I'm still confused after watching it twice now is 
am I supposed to feel bad for the penguin at the end? No. Why? I, the film seems to suggest that I should feel bad in some way. I mean, he's been a, I agree. an absolute hey. monster the entire time, though, right? <laughs> sure. Agreed. But the film suggests by his march with the Emperor Penguins into the water that somehow I should feel bad for him. I think, right? That's what it suggests. <laughs> That, I think that I I feel the same way, and I was I was upset by it. I mean, you didn't have any, but I mean, the whole time the penguin is being used anyhow. The right. penguin was never really a flushed out bad guy, because even at his evilest, he was still being used by Shrek. Mm-hmm. It was he was always being a pawn to somebody. Right. So I guess you are supposed to feel bad for him that he didn't get to fulfill his evil, you know, dreams. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, it is interesting. Like, yeah, because it's like there's this element that it's like he's such just, he's so gross the entire time. But at the end, suddenly it's like you're supposed to feel bad for him. And it's like, and, like, I, I kind of thought the same thing as you see. It's like, right? Like, I mean, I guess he's a pawn. Like, he didn't really... And not even that he didn't get to fulfill his plan, but that he was... He was this kind of tossed aside kid, baby, who somehow survived and grew up to just be this resentful, gross monster that comes from the underground and then is manipulated his entire time. And it's like, I could see the potential there to feel bad for him, but I don't think that the way the character behaves in it. Right. I'm, I want to point out that the penguin says at one point, I want to show her my French flipper technique. It is. It's it's grotesque. That's, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Frank is not like, is that yes he's grotesque but it's like it's like they were writing t- it's two different ideas it's like the, there's this like it's like you made him too grotesque and monstrous yeah for that ending it's it's a failing of the movie like ultimately sure but like why why would you not know the movie that yeah, you're there's making? nothing redeemable right <laughs> why would you ever think that that ending still works <laughs> of, of of this you know you know, watery like descent into the abyss, like being carried off by Emperor Penguin pallbearers. Why would you ever think that would work, given what you filmed already of this movie? Like, I, it, it's just, it's an, it's an aim. <laughs> like, it, it, it shows that you don't know what you're making. Yeah, for once, going to jail would have been better. <laughs> right. If he would have went to jail, it would have actually been somewhat better for him. Yeah. That we wouldn't have felt as bad for the gross guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I mean, usually I'm the soft one, but I did not feel bad for the penguin in this movie. I don't know. I didn't feel bad for really, anybody. Really, he could have died and not had that last sequence, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't have cared anymore. Right. After all the explosions, we didn't need any of that ending. Mm-hmm. 
with the penguins and everything taking him into the water. I had like I was satisfied with him being dead before that. Sure. Yeah. That's 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 what I'm but, asking. I mean, that's is how like, the movie was done. Yeah. Yeah. That that's why I was yeah, asking the question. I don't was, understand um, it. <laughs> yeah. There was no reason right. for any of that ending. Except, I don't know, for them, I guess to pull your heartstrings, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it was Burden sitting there. I don't, I, I really, yeah, I, I'm at a loss. That's why I was asking, because I'm just at a loss of who decides to try to attack that, like, kind of sappy, why don't you feel bad for this gross thing <laughs> and i i don't know who makes that decision that's uh that's why i was asking <clears throat> makes no sense to me oh. i don't know tim burton's all about those friggin circus freak weirdos and trying to find like redeemable qualities to them so but most of the time he's successful to some degree in finding those qualities at times like this right because because edward scissorhands is like at heart a decent like being but do you feel bad for beetlejuice when he's sitting in the waiting room at the end like no of course not right but, but so that's also done for comedic effect i think the penguin thing is too Oh, That's, I don't know about the, the way he films that, Frank, with those like emperor penguins walking out. I don't and, like, think I don't think he's done for that slow no. procession down into the water. I don't think it's for comedic effect. I think it's, it made me laugh. I think <laughs> I, it's too <laughs> solemn. Like it's I, I think it's there to try to make he, you. He, he, he pulls the fucking umbrella out. <laughs> I pulled a silly one. <laughs> Like, what are you supposed to do but laugh at that? That's ridiculous. Yeah. I, it's like he realizes how ridiculous he is. Like, Penguin's thinking at that moment, why did I have silly umbrellas ever? They all should have been deadly umbrellas. Like, what, what was I thinking? I don't know. But he does that in the TV show, too, doesn't he? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I think it's a joke. I think that whole character is a parody of... yeah how ridiculous the characters are on the TV show. And it's kind of why Catwoman sort of ruins it in a way, because she just becomes like this overly complex, like love interest for Batman where the, she's the one that you're supposed to feel bad for. And then, you know, obviously at the end, she's not dead anyway, but well, that is, that's a weird thing too, where they make you try to sympathize with her i don't know how much i ended up sympathizing with her in the first part of the movie before she's killed but they try to make you sympathize with her as this downtrodden beleaguered secretary who is trying her best to put out a million fires and can't and is alone and doesn't have anybody to go home to to where she has to make the joke of honey i'm home oh that's right i'm not married and has all of her cats and they try to make you feel bad for her and then suddenly she's this overly sexualized person who is making innuendo herself and then they just turn her into not a femme fatale but just i, I 
I don't, I don't get it. It's like, you know, it's like you're supposed to feel some sort of sympathy for her as a, as a woman in a man's world who isn't allowed to have a voice, isn't allowed to have her own ideas. And then it's like, let's put her in latex and lipstick and have her try to fuck Bruce Wayne and make sexual innuendos. And I, she's genuinely attracted to Bruce Wayne. I mean, that's, it's, it's weird because it's like, it's a man's misinterpretation of what feminism is. Right. Is what Catwoman is. Yeah. Like it's a dude mm-hmm. saying, like, yeah, this is feminine and feminist empowerment and not having any clue as to like, you know, what that should look like on screen. So you get this weird ass fucking dominatrix fantasy thing yeah. going on. Right. Right. In a movie that's already way too hypersexualized. Yeah, I, like I mean, I th- I think it's supposed to be like it's it's turning the what's her name um the lady that played catwoman in the 60s uh earth a kid yeah Yeah, it's turning that character on its head Mm -hmm. where it's like sexual but with a purpose but he doesn't understand what that purpose is supposed to be so it just ends up being i mean she says it herself she's kind of a bitch about stuff you know like except when she's with batman and bruce wayne when they realize that you know who each other is yeah, so I did see a quote here, and I was able to find that again, where the the guy that came in to re- do the rewrites, Daniel Waters, says that Sam Sam Ham, who wrote the original script for this, went back quote went way back to the comic books in general that treat women like fetishy sexual fantasy. I wanted to start off just at the lowest point of society, a very beaten down secretary. So apparently, the rewrites is like waters trying to reestablish this character of why she would become Catwoman, but I'm assuming there's parts of the original script and parts of what he wrote and they just don't jive very well to me. Well, because the problem is is her becoming Catwoman isn't because of anything that she thinks or feels, it's because she gets pushed out of a friggin' window and a cat nibbles on her finger, you know, like I don't which, know. It doesn't even make any sense. It's right, almost which, like 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 do sex machina for. <laughs> Welp, now I'm a cat woman. I don't know. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't really. You know, a, a cat nibbling on your finger after you've died, um, which is very likely my end at some point. Um, you know, someday here soon is. Um, <laughs> it, it is like it's not like a spider biting you and you turning into fucking Spider Man. <laughs> Like, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I kind of get the joke, I guess, right? Like the, the, the kooky cat lady like dies and like, you know, the cats like start eating her or whatever. And then she turns into the fucking cat woman. Like there, right. there's definitely a joke there, I guess, to be made, but it also doesn't jive with this fake feminist message that I think that. Right. Because the genuine origin of Catwoman is legitimately more interesting than any kind of like pseudo Spider-Man, you know, bullshit, which is she's a fucking cat burglar that dresses up in a costume that hides her in the dark and is kind of like Robin Hood for these prostitutes and like, you know, poor people in Gotham. And you still could have done something similar to that and had it work. 
especially because she could have been against Penguin the whole time anyway, because he's just like a force of chaos or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't want to rewrite fucking Batman Returns, but <laughs> uh, that's the problem. It needs to be rewrote, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. They need to scrap all of it and just just write a new script, man. <laughs> yeah, that that's it. Thirty years later, I got you. I'm on. Uh, it. I guess yeah. they're doing that anyhow, aren't they? I don't know what to think about. Are you talking about the Pattison movie? Well, I guess uh, Keaton is supposed to be in the... There's another one going to be coming out. I read about it today. And Keaton's supposed to be reprising the role. What? Yeah, Ke- Keaton's um, going to be but in the... I don't, in, I don't in think the... I think they do it to Pattison. Yeah, Keaton's going to be in the Flash movie that's coming out next year. As that's right, yeah. As Bruce Wayne, yeah. As Bruce Wayne, yeah. Here's here's the problem with the DC universe, and this has nothing to do with Batman Returns because whatever, it's so far removed. Fucking cast some people and just stick with it, right? You know, like not every Marvel movie is a success, but at least like when you see Thor, it's always just Thor. Like you don't got to have I don't know whatever. It's so fucking dumb. Now you got me all angry. I was have, all you, have you seen the trailer for the Pattison movie? Yeah. Have you seen that? that, that, that <laughs> have you? So his, his he has this like hair that just like as Bruce Wayne it just like flops over to the side. I know. And it it is it's a it's a scene. It's something. Um, it's it's going to be a unique unique Bruce Wayne. I'll I'll, I'll give him that. I don't know. It looks like something out of a I fucking. Won't watch it. You won't watch the movie or the trailer? I won't watch any of it. Okay. That's probably for the best. Probably. Yeah. He looks like an extra in a fine young cannibals like (laughs) fucking music video. Like I don't even understand. That's very funny. What's going on with like that (laughs) that look? Yeah, it's 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 really bizarre. It's a bizarre interpretation of what I've seen so far of of the Bruce Wayne character. So it's basically just Batman Year One, which is a really good story. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's in essence what they already sort of told halfway in the Nolan Batman movies. So I don't know. I I do want to ask this question about the Penguin is Dustin Hoffman was offered this role and declined it. And I'm asking <laughs> I'm asking this for a very specific reason because I'm trying to ambush Frank a little bit because I'm pretty sure you fucking hate Dustin Hoffman, don't you, Frank? I like him in certain things. Mm-hmm. What? What do you like him in? I like him in The Graduate. You don't like The Graduate that much, though. I don't dislike The Graduate. The Graduate's a movie Frank is indifferent to. Maybe. <laughs> okay. What else you like him in? <laughs> oh, let's look up this motherfucker. <laughs> sneakers? You like him in Sneakers? No, I don't like sneakers. Get out of here! I don't even know what sneakers is. Are you talking about that movie from the nineties? Yes. You never saw sneakers? Yeah, <laughs> I've seen sneakers. I'm being I saw I'm, that at the movies. I'm being purposefully obtuse. <laughs> I like The Graduate. I love Midnight Cowboy. Little Big Man is fine. Mm-hmm. I like Straw Dogs a lot. I like all the president's men. 
I like Marathon Man. I just can't really watch it because it makes me really uncomfortable. Marathon Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's about where the shit ends, I guess. Yeah, how do you estimate him in those movies exactly? I mean, some I think is I think he's fantastic in Straw Dogs. I think um, I think he's really good in The Graduate. I think he's amazing in Midnight Cowboy. I think that's the role of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fine in Little Big Man. Oh, Lenny, he's he plays Lenny Bruce. He's really good in Lenny. He's good in All the President's Men. He's really good in Marathon Man. It's just, you know what it is? It's motherfucking Kramer versus Kramer and Tootsie back to back. And then I just can't take him seriously after that. Because fuck Kramer versus Kramer and fuck Tootsie forever. So, oh, so see Frank, come on. So at some point you just like lose any respect for Dustin Hoffman. There's something about Kramer versus Kramer I just can't stand. When like anything involved with that movie, didn't it win an Oscar over something that should have won an Oscar? I don't remember those kind of things, but I can see if I can. I'm almost. I'm. I'm gonna look that shit up because I'm pretty sure that's why. So I mean, it won best. Uh, hold on. But is that Winning Dustin fight. Hoffman or is that the the subject matter, Frank? It's everything. I can't separate them. So you see, I don't like the subject matter of the movie, and that's why I don't like the movie. I don't like the subject matter either, but I just like that's what I think of whenever I see Dustin Hoffman. I, I couldn't remember that Dustin Hoffman was in Midnight Cowboy, and Midnight Cowboy is yeah. one of my favorite movies of the 70s. And that performance specifically is one of my favorite performances ever, maybe. But I don't think of that as being Dustin Hoffman. That's just Ratso Rizzo. Dustin Hoffman's the motherfucker in, in Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> okay, so well, I, 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 I found this, right? Okay, so <laughs> so Kramer, Kramer versus Kramer won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, um, and uh, Best Supporting Actress from Meryl Streep. So that year was All That Jazz, Apocalypse Now, Breaking Away, and Norma Ray was up for Best Picture, and it won. So Apocalypse Now obviously should have won that. Um, what is going on with your voice? Are you doing that on purpose? Me? Yeah, you sound like Merman or something. Oh. Breaking away. It, the the audience is probably not going to hear that the connection just became unstable for a moment mm. so robert benton who i've never heard of before this time won for best director over top of again peter yates for breaking away and francis Ford coppola for apocalypse now uh dustin hoffman won over jack lemon in the china syndrome bad choice al pacino and and Justice for All, Roy Schneider and all that jazz, and Peter Sellers and being there. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Robert, Robert Benton directed fucking Billy Bathgate. <laughs> and Nobody's Fool. Oh, nobody's- and, the ni- and the 1998 Twilight, which is notable for being a terrible movie. And partially being filmed in Cecil County, right? Twilight was? Yeah, so that's the Clint Eastwood movie, right? No, no, no. That's um. No. Twilight is the one with the. Uh, no, I wish it was that one. Twilight is our early Reese Witherspoon movie with. Um, oh, never mind. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Absolute Power. That's what I'm thinking. About. Yeah, that's the one that's filmed down at Turkey Point. Yeah, that's. Yeah, this is Paul Newman is like, kind of a jack of all trades that works for this rich woman, and um, 
her daughter gets into trouble like her daughter's just like out of control um and she gets into trouble and paul newman has to help solve some mystery i don't remember gotcha reese witherspoon is naked in this movie for like 45 seconds Mm -hmm. so we of course stayed after work to watch it for that reason it was it was was different time right (laughs) it was it was that grand old time when women were not objectified yes no 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 no. it was 100 percent. they were being objectified i'm saying that was the time when they were right they're not they're right they no longer are i mean not by me so i don't know um so that's not a gene hackman movie that can ever get onto a list okay what absolute power they get on no list ever except for movies that Frank's no, no, no. never gonna well watch is, he's in that too isn't he he's an absolute power <laughs> he's also he's also in twilight <laughs> is he yeah are you confusing those two is. movies like like i am no 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 i just don't remember twilight at all because i think we walked out like after seven or eight Reese Withers, <laughs> after she got naked she's an asshole to paul newman because he's like hey um she's like having sex with her boyfriend and he walks in on him like unexpectedly on both parts it's not like he was like trying to creep him or anything and he's like hey i just had to fix the dryer like you need to clean out the lint trap um this is when you're done doing this is a ribbing pot okay and and she says she says <laughs> listen paul newman you're always just going to be the handyman i ain't got to listen to you and then that's it okay. end scene Jesus. Okay, so let's bring this back to wrap this up with Batman Returns. So Zeke, thumbs up or thumbs down if you have to choose. That's tough. Um, I'll never watch it again. Mm -hmm. If somebody showed interest in watching Tim Burton movies, I would watch it again with them. But never again would I watch it. Right. Okay, Frank. It is like the most lukewarm half-ass thumbs up ever. But with the same caveat, like, I'm never watching this movie again. But I appreciated the visual style. I thought it had Mm -hmm. some good performances. Um, I thought it was risky in a lot of ways which you're not you don't really see that much in like a mainstream movie especially like a big budget like blockbuster like that um and i think it's funny that we can talk about a movie that's a quote-unquote christmas movie in the same way that die hard is a christmas movie which is to say not at all so merry 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 fucking christmas i guess well, I never thought of this as Christmas movie, first of all. I just, it had snow, so it was wintery, and that's the only reason why I eventually, like, chose this, and because I hadn't seen it. I knew since the theater. Can I tell you what my favorite moment in this movie is? Sure. And I had forgotten about it, and when I saw it, I... I'm glad, I'm glad that you have one. I, I legitimately marked out. Is the penguin is in the, um, the marketing office or whatever? I'm not even sure, like, what that scene is. Um... But they're like, like, let me tell you a joke. They're like, something, something, and your nose is gushing blood. And he's like, my nose is gushing blood. And then he just bites the shit out of his nose. It's fantastic. It makes I didn't, me I didn't know where time. you were going with that. But yeah, like, as soon as you thought, like, I was sitting there joking, like, oh, I'm glad you have one. But it's like, do I have, like, a scene that, like, is memorable to me that I that I thought, like, and, like, made me laugh or do have any reaction? Yeah, it was that one. 
It's I mean, like I laugh. That guy's nerves right. off. Yeah. I laugh really hard when he's walking down the steps, just eating that like decimated fish that's like falling apart. Like in his, <laughs> and he like never stops eating the fish. Like as they're talking to him, and he right. realizes that people should be disgusted. He just keeps eating the fish. People are like, "Yeah, penguin. Yeah, you're the guy. You're gonna be our mayor." And penguin's like, "Wow." Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember that. Who that? Yeah, I didn't find is. any of that funny. Then. <laughs> oh, it made me laugh really hard. Because that's the joke of it, right? Is that like, I don't know. Like the penguin is really just. I, I we're we're done talking about this movie. I'm done. <laughs> made me I, laugh. I I um I can't remember who that actor is. I've seen him in a number of things. The the guy that gets his nose bit, but he's just such a obnoxious, pompous like dude. And he played that role extremely well all the time. And the thing, little things I've seen him in, that it always um, reminds me of the guy from um. They might be giants. That's who I always think it is, but it's not him. He was a he was on a lot of those eighties movies, like the late eighties movies. He was in a lot of them. Yeah, he, he, and then he, it was um the woman was uh from Saturday Night Live, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Jan Nor, Hooks. Nor, yeah, Jan Hooks. That's it. Yep, Jan Hooks. Yep. Is yeah, Jan Hooks. Yeah, I, yep. I was saying I was thinking Levy, but it was yeah, Jan Hooks. Yep. And I was going to say Nora Dunn, but yes, Jan Hooks. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I can't remember that guy's name, but yeah, he's in a lot of stuff in the eighties and early nineties, and he's always playing that similar role he either plays like like a gay character that they never say is gay because it was the 80s or 90s or he plays this kind of just you know guy who's always like bowing down to other people and being slimy about the way he does it but um he always plays that role extremely well um and and he's such like a, just a scummy character that yeah it made me laugh when like he gets his nose bit um <clears throat> steve whitting is his name Steve Wooding. Yeah, he was not on Wikipedia. I didn't want to go to I would him. never known that. Uh because I um, He's been in a ton of stuff though. Yeah, he's in a shitload of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Fifty one acting credits and one directing credit. He's in Killers of the Flower Moon. So there you go. Good to see him this oh, year. Oh shit. He's gonna be in a movie this coming year. Oh, oh that's crazy. Um, I didn't know he was still still around, but he's done a lot of he's never stopped acting. Hmm. He does at least one thing a year, it looks like. Actually, it looks like he does about one thing a year. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot. He, he was probably on. looks exactly the same too. His face is weird now. It's like um horsified, I guess, a little bit. I don't know. Like decrepit and like a horse is how I would describe it. That's it in his in his MDIB picture. Well, you just ruined my dream of getting Steve Whitting to ever do this podcast. Um, I mean, he's, you know, <laughs> still more important than us. So, I, you know, been a lot of things I like. <laughs> See, uh, do you say, do you say IMDB or do you say MDIB? I say IMDB. Do you say ATAT or ADAC? I can't, I can't do the... Uh-huh. ADAC. Yeah, that's that's a huge point of contention between us and friend of the podcast, Orion Wellmaker. Why? What does okay, he? What well, does he say? He yeah. says ATAT, and his argument is, do you say ATST? Oh. And I said yes, but that's because that's what it's called, and an ADAT is called an ADAT. 
Yeah, I see. I say ATAT and ATST, but I say MDIB. Well, you're just wrong on the ATAT part. It's an ADAT, man. They call it an ADAT. Yeah, that's in the movie, right? Yeah. So what? They so so, but here, here's. I'll, I'll channel him for a moment, but it's like, what would you call in the movie if that's an ADAT? What is an and they call it an ADAT? Then what is an ATST? They call it an ATST. Okay, so so they just reduce the amount of syllables. I you know what? Maybe that makes sense. Who knows? Like you know, it's all the, the empire is all corporate and everything. Will reduce the amount of syllables, like you know, as much <laughs> as they possibly can. So I mean, like yeah, maybe that makes sense. Fuck it. You talk me into it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't write it, so I don't know what to tell you. But <laughs> all right, Zeke, thank you so much for joining us, and I guess kind of shitting on this movie ultimately, um, <laughs> because most everything we said was negative. It lo- it does look really nice though, um, for what it, it was is. A, it was a light shit. Let's let's you know. Oh right, yeah. I yeah, didn't like I couldn't it. go too hard on it. Yeah, you get me into the further one, then it would have been really bad. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, Val Kilmer, and all those—that would have been a massacre. Do you? We do talked. You, we talked about that. This one, I, I could, I could deal with. Did we? What's that? Did we? Nah, we've never, we've never actually, Frank talked about um, Forever or or um, Batman and Robin. But we I have made all you, fair, but I, I made you watch. Um, you did Forever, Forever, because I told you that it's a really good movie ruined by being a really bad movie yes and i was so bored during covid that i did it yeah ah. yeah that's a movie that yeah, if you, you make two or three two or three changes to it is probably one of the better superhero movies pre-mcu but instead you get the hunk of shit that it is so yeah i still don't know if i agree with you completely on that assessment but um well may <laughs> you know what <laughs> maybe we'll do that um at some point, like next year, Zeke is is you'll rewatch. Um, we'll just talk about the entire Batman trilogy or quad trilogy, I guess. Yeah, if you wanted me to go off on something, that would be the <laughs> they would be the one. Yeah, you need to let me explain to you how it could be a good movie, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we'll do. Is we'll, we'll talk about that, and you know, no. I have actually, I have never actually seen the entirety. This is like a. A long held secret. I've never seen the entirety from beginning to end of Batman and Robin. I've seen like seventy five percent of it, I think, um, at different points. But I've never seen the entire. So I've never actually sat down and watched that entire movie. So this would be the first time I actually sat down and watched Batman. Yeah, I don't Robin. think I was coherent. <laughs> I was probably staring at the screen, but there was no remembering when I did watch it. Right. I need to find. I so I, that, re- I like rewrote, it would definitely be a first watch. I rewrote the script to this movie in my phone, and I can't find it now. Hmm. <laughs> Do you remember I texted you that I was like, I am probably I don't delete my text, so I can probably still find it. That's my guess. Like right, I was, forward I was, it to me. I'm trying to find it right now. I was super into the idea that, like, yeah, you know what? I could make this movie good. All right, so that's the deal. Then. Next. Is this the one with Schwarzenegger or the one with Jim Carrey? The one with Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. It's so bad, man. 
Gotcha. All right. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> All right. Zeke, thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you again for supporting us for as long as you have um, so early on. And again, good to see you. And I think that's a wrap, everybody. Of course. All right. Hey, listen, I just want to say yeah. hi to my son, Galen, real quick, okay? Yep. Because he's got, I need to get him to be a fan of the show. Yep. Galen. And does Galen listen to the podcast Galen, with yep. you? He will be soon. Okay. All right. Well, what's up, Galen? Good to have you. Um, good to have you on board. Sorry, I curse so much. <laughs> All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you, Zeke. All right. See you guys.